0: Good morning and welcome to Rock Hills. We are so glad to have you guys here with us on this beautiful weekend outside and we're continuing our series Fixer Upper and I'm really excited about this series because we're talking about Our homes, and every one of our homes are imperfect. We've all got a nail in one way or the other that we're dealing with, and every one of our homes are imperfect, but if we could allow God to come in and move in the mix of our homes, it could absolutely make quite a difference. So this is a a very practical series. We've been talking about things that hopefully you can put into practice in your family, and we've talked about how families look different. Some of you are in a typical family situation. Some of you are mixed family some of you are single parents Uh, some of you are singles with no kids at home but we've all got these different family dynamics and if we could put into practice some of the things that we've been learning I think that it could make a difference in our families right away and so that's our prayer for this series is that um, that's our prayer is that if you could just put some of these things into practice um, in, in your family if you could turn off the phone that would be awesome Sorry, I'm I'm very easily distracted. But um, so we're talking about this uh, this series, fixer upper. We all have improvements that we need to make when it comes to our homes. And uh, I believe with all my heart that God truly wants to work in every one of our homes. And so we're going to be looking at a a passage today from the book of James and a little bit from Ephesians as well. And if you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you, we've got Bibles out at the Connecting Center. You're always welcome uh, to pick one of those up and uh, you can see for yourself uh, what all it says in there. So um, if you could turn it off. Uh, Hey, please don't answer it. All right, just... Leave, leave then, please. I'm sorry. Um, Sorry about that. Man, okay. uh, (laughs) Ephesians 4.32, it says this, Get rid of all your bitterness, hot tempers, anger, loud quarreling, cursing, and hatred. Be kind to one another, sympathetic, forgiving each other, as God has forgiven you through Christ. Okay, I got some of you there, didn't I? All right, some of you are still figuring that out. We've got to forgive one another. We've got to let little things go. That was my friend Michael, by the way. Y'all welcome my Michael back on up here. Some of you are just now getting it. We've got to learn to let those little things go. I got you, right? I mean, you really fell for that. I hope so. Who did you feel worse for? Did you feel worse for Michael or me or Rock Hills as a whole? I was a jerk, right? I was, I was hoping to kind of try to be a jerk. But some of you are like, yeah, get the phone, people. Tell them to shut up. That's what we're talking about, conflict. It's what's for dinner today. We're going to be talking about conflict within our homes. Because we all have conflict, whether it's little things that just drive us crazy and throw us off track, or it's the big things that turn into drama in our homes. You see, that situation we just set up right there, it was justified, right? I mean, we're in the middle of a church service. Turn off your ringer for crying out loud. You could say that that was justified as it rings, you know, how rude. But immediately, whether you wanted to or not, every one of you were kind of sucked into the emotion of what was happening right there. My character, your thoughts of me in some way were on the line. Your thoughts of our church in some way were on the line. Some of you are thinking, I don't know if I want to come back to this church. And it all happened because of 10 seconds of emotion in words. It's the same way in our homes with just that little thing that gets under our skin. And then we let the words fly out of our mouth. All the drama can be sucked into one situation and we can do something that leaves damage. For the rest of our lives. We can, we can hurt people in truly deep ways. So we want to look at conflict today. We can easily justify the arguments that arise in our homes, but as we look at James today, he's going to remind us that some of the issues that we face that God wants to work in the middle of those issues. If our faith is going to be passed down to the next generation, if we want what we believe in to be something that carries on over and that our kids don't end up rejecting, we have to get this conflict under control in our homes. Like I said, families can look many different ways. We've got step families. We've got mixed families. We've got adoptive families. We've got families that are like families. We've got all kinds of families in this room. And just like families can be completely different, conflict can be completely different, right? The way we handle conflict, but the common ground that we can find is that to some degree over different issues, we all tend to fuss and fight with those who live in our homes, those who are closest to us, those who are our family to some degree. You may have figured this out already, but when you argue within your family, when you fight within your family, you don't actually win anything. You may out-argue the other person, but you don't actually win anything. Now, a good argument works well on the debate team, obviously. If you out-argue the other person, you win. Good argument works well in court. If you out-argue, you win. It might even work well In the area of sports, you know, you're arguing for your car, whatever you win, you get a step ahead. But when you argue in the bedroom, when you argue in your living room, I think we can all agree that nobody really wins. Conflict in family is like conflict nowhere else, nowhere else that we experience in life. And we don't all process it the same way. We all come at it from different angles. We've got some of you here who are peacemakers. And when conflict arises, you just want to work it out. Are you fine? Okay, I'm fine too. Let's all be fine. Okay, let's just move on and everybody's going to be fine. You're going to be a peacemaker. We got some of you here who are sulkers. As soon as something comes up, I mean, you know, it's just because you're a horrible wife and you're just going to pout about it, right? And that's the way you handle conflict is just to sulk. We got some of you who are stuffers. I'm fine, all right? I'm fine. Obviously, you're not fine, but you're going to just stuff it all in and say, I'm fine and hope that it goes away. We got some of you in the room who are litigators, and litigators are the best arguers because you always win, and you always win because you're never wrong, right? You're never wrong. And if we were to ask you, you would say, actually, that's true. I am never wrong, and I can prove it to you that I am never wrong. No one wants to argue with you because you always win. You have to win. But after you win at home, still no one actually wins. You may win on the courtroom. You may win on the basketball court. You may win in debate. But when it comes to family, when we argue, no one actually wins. There's also those of you who are screamers. You just gotta get it out, right? And it's gonna be loud when it comes out. So you've just you've just got to scream it out. Some of you grew up in a screamer family. And if you grew up in a screamer family, chances are you married one of those first type of people, right? Uh, you married the peacemakers or sulkers or stuffers. And in some of your first early conflicts in marriage, I mean, you had this fight and all of a sudden, the one of you is like, what in the world? This demon has just come out of my spouse and she's screaming like crazy. And you're trying to say, hey, hey, hey we don't need to yell. And the other one's saying, hey, we got to let it out. We've got we've to get these issues out. And so we've got screamers, we've got sulkers, we've got litigators, we've got stuffers, we've got peacemakers. But when it comes to arguing, nobody really wins. Conflict in our homes can be very complicated. And there is going to be conflict, but our words can be devastating. So how we handle conflict is very important. And today's message isn't to say that we should never address issues, that there aren't important things that we have to talk about and work out. But what we're going to talk about today is that if we can handle conflict the way James proposes to us, it could change everything in our lives. So what we want to do today is look at this ugly little thing called conflict. If we could take it, coax it out of its lair unmask it, look at it, and acknowledge it for what it is and own it, I think we could truly make some progress to having peace in our homes and and reduce some of the conflict in our homes. If everyone in our family, now remember we've talked about real and ideal in saying everyone in the family, if everyone could do this, it would make a big difference. Now that's ideal. Not everyone necessarily is going to do it. We live in the real where maybe one or two of us are trying to work on the conflict. But we want to aim for the ideal in our homes. Look at the Word of God. What does it say? Say, that is what we are aiming for. So we're aiming for the ideal. Put these principles in our lives and help it to decrease the tension. So we're going to jump into the book of James. James is Jesus' brother. He's writing this letter to churches nearly 2,000 years ago, and he's going to introduce a very profound principle To us, some insight on how we should relate to one another. And he gets right off the bat, down to the very bottom line, and he throws a question right at us. James chapter 4, verse 1. It says this What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, if I was brave enough, and I'm not, I would ask you to turn to the person that came here with you today and ask them. What causes fights and quarrels among us? And I'd give you a few minutes to discuss that. The problem with that is we would probably have some fights and quarrels that break out within the auditorium right here because we would all come to the conclusion as we talk about what starts fights and quarrels. You start fights and quarrels in our home. That's the problem. Immediately, we could come to a place where we start to blame. The reason we fight and quarrel in my family is my husband always does this. My wife never does this. She spends all the money. He's irresponsible. My kids won't ever do what I ask them to do, even though I've asked them over and over and over. And we could look at all of these issues and just begin to point the finger and say, this is why we have conflict in our family. Because of what you do. Like we said a couple of weeks ago, if we could just sit everybody down in our family and say, this is what I need you to do, this is what I need you to do, this is what I need you to do, and everybody would do what we ask them to do, things would go a lot smoother, right? I mean, if we could even do that in the world, we could make a big difference, right? I'm telling you, every one of us in this room, if we could sit down with North Korea and President Trump and say, here's what you need to do, here's what you need to do, here's what you need to stop doing, here's what you need to stop doing, we could make a big difference, right? I mean, if we could just tell people, here is what I want you to do, we could have them follow our instructions and it would make a big difference. But at the end of the day, I know what everybody else should do, but they're not doing it. So it's easy to go to blame. The problem that we're having right now is because you whatever, fill in the blank, or you don't fill in the blank. Here's the deal. As long as you blame others for your current state of unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. As long as you blame others for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. Every time you blame somebody else, tell your sad story, it's him, it's her, it's my kids, it's them. Here's what you do. You take your happiness, you put it in a bag, and you hand it to the person that you are in conflict with. And you say, here, hold on to my happiness until you're ready to give it back to me. Now, none of us would do that, right? None of us would stand here and say, I'm going to give you my potential for happiness. You hold on to it. But that's what we do. How many times would we give control of our happiness to the person that we are in conflict with? We just wouldn't do that. But as long as we're in this cycle of saying, if you do this or if you would stop doing that, if you, if you, if you, that is an if, there's an I in there, if you would or would not do this, then I can be happy. You're giving your happiness, your contentment to the person that you are in conflict with, and I can't be happy until you do something differently. It makes no sense, does it? But we do that all the time because we get caught up in the emotions, and we say, here's my happiness. You take it. I like what Andy Stanley said. He says this, Blame is how we smuggle our issues into the future. It's how you take everything that's really kind of a problem with you and you move it into the future and you disguise it as someone else's issue. Until you understand what James is about to share with us, then we don't have a whole lot of options. Our homes are going to be a roller coaster of emotions because we can't control other people. We can't make their decisions for them. And for most of you right now, if you're unhappy, there's a good chance that it has to do with something going on in your home. And if somebody would do something differently, it would make a difference in your happiness, right? Every time I react, every time I blame, I give my contentment, I give my joy. I give my happiness to someone else. So here's what James has to explain to us today, and I think it can bring a lot of freedom. We're going to look at James chapter 4, the first three verses. And I think as I talk about this, you're probably going to give me a little pushback and argue with me in your head and just say it's not that easy, Adam. But I want you to take a good look at this principle. You're going to have a lot of, yeah, but what about this? And yeah, what about that? And uh, I just want to encourage you. I didn't come up with this stuff. And I wouldn't be brave enough to tell you this stuff if it wasn't just plain right there in the word of God. But it's right there. So he tells us what causes fights and quarrels among you. And again, there's so much of an issue here. It can't just be one thing, right? I mean, there's as many answers as there are people in the room. But James is going to go on to say that there is one common source to your conflict, And that's why you don't resolve your conflict. And he dives in. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? To which you and I would say, no, 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 no. It's not me. It's something inside of them. It's the way that they behave, the way that they talk, the way that they think. It's something that they have done. And James says there is a common source to all of your conflict your quarrels, your fights, it's something inside of you. And that's not so easy, right? He's saying that you have a desire. Every conflict, specifically within your family, there is a desire within you that spills out to the other people within your home. There is a conflict within you that is causing conflict within the people around you. So James proposes this. He says it always begins with something inside of you. Now, if we just stopped right there and we could all own that concept of when there's conflict in my home, something is within me as well that is contributing to that conflict. If we could all just own that, we could stop right there and it would make a difference in our families. But James has a lot more good stuff to add to this. So he continues in verse 2. James 4, 2. It says this, You desire, but you do not have. Every time there is conflict, there's something that you want. Why do you quarrel and fight? He's saying there's something inside you, and he's saying here's part of the issue. You desire, but you don't have. You want something, and you aren't getting it. Every time that there's conflict... Whether it's something that just happens once, a little thing, a big thing, something that happens over and over and over, there is something that you want. Now, you may already be arguing with me in your head and saying, now, this isn't just something I want. This is, this is about character. This is something that they owe me. This is something that they promised me. This is something that I deserved." And you could be totally justified in what you're saying you're part of the issue is. But we have to own the fact that there's something that we want, but we don't have. Every time there is a conflict in your family with your family member, there is something you want, but you aren't getting it. And then he goes on and he throws in something else a little bit shocking here. He says, you desire, but you don't have. And then he says, so you kill. I mean, those are. Pretty tough words, right? I mean, is he talking to a really tough crowd? Was was he in in the prison giving a prison message or something that day? He wasn't. He's talking to the church. He's saying you don't have what you want, so you kill. Now this is hyperbole. He's talking bigger picture here. He's talking see artistically a little bit here, but it's very relevant for us because sometimes there are things that you want or even deserve in your family so badly that you may rightly, justifiably deserve, but you want them so badly that you are willing to hurt the people that you care about most in order to get what you deserve, what you want, what you are owed, so you kill, 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 so you kill. We've seen this with parents and kids, right? Kids are not doing what I want them to do. So it grows into frustration after frustration after frustration. By the time that kid is 17 or 18, they're saying, I'm out of here. And if we were able to bring those parents up to the stage here today, say, hey, tell tell us about what's going on, they would tell you, I just want for my kids so badly. I want the best for them, and I'm not getting it. I just want them to be respectful and I'm not getting it. Justifiable things that I want from my child and I am not getting it. So I push and I push and I nag and I nag until finally I kill. Same with the children. They would say there was something I wanted from my parents, but I wasn't getting it. So I killed the relationship and I left We've seen it in many different forms, right? We've all seen men that power up on women and use their words and use their attitude and and use their force to destroy a woman's self-image. We've seen people belittle other people to the point where they don't have any self-confidence left. Parents who shame their children or set such high expectations on them that they will never meet And our expectations, our words, our arguments, they kill. We can want something so badly for the people that we love the most that we kill the relationship. We can get to the point in our homes where we justifiably want something. And we don't understand this concept that James is talking about. And our desire of wanting it from them or wanting it for them, because often really it's us so that we will feel more proud or we uh, we feel better about them in our relationship. We want something out of them. We want to be more fulfilled that we kill. We have the potential within us to destroy the people that we love the most. So let's take the focus off of you because that's that's hard to swallow right? You've seen this in other people, right? Every one of you in this room know other people that you could say, yeah, I've seen that. I have friends, I have family members that have destroyed their relationship with their kids, that have destroyed their relationship with their parents, that have destroyed their marriage, that have destroyed friendships that they were close to because they wanted something for them or they wanted something from them. And they pushed and they pushed and they pushed until it killed the relationship We've seen that in others. But then when it comes back to us, it's a little bit more difficult to wrap our arms around that. And we could say, but I just want the best for them, right? I just want you to be the healthiest you, so I want you to be in a size two, you know? I mean, we could, we could say all these justifiable things, right? I, I just want you to reach your full potential. And we want something from them or we want something for them. But really, when it comes down to it, a lot of times it's about us and it's about what we want. Do you know why most of your conflict comes with the people that you love the most, the people that you're closest to? It's because they are the people that are closest to you. You are the common denominator in all of your conflict. Now, I'm not saying that that does not mean that there aren't issues that need to be talked about and things that truly do need to be dealt with in love. But when we're talking about conflict, how in just a moment you can change the dynamics of the room with words that are said, you have to realize there's something you want and you aren't getting it. Regardless of whether we deserve it or not, whether it's something that we see as positive or negative, you want something from them. And if you want it badly enough, you have the potential to destroy the people that you want the most. And the whole time you're arguing, you're fussing, you're nagging, you're belittling people, you're leaving those notes, you're convinced it's them, it's them, it's them. It is about their behavior. And James says, wait, 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 It's you. It's you. It's you and about your desires. You want something and you're not getting it, so you use your words. You use your actions to get it one way or another. Can you imagine how different our homes would be if we could all own this idea? That part of the problem is me. He goes on. He says this. You covet, meaning you want something really badly. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. And we're right back to the beginning here. And the cycle just goes on and on and on and on. And you find yourself arguing about the same thing over and over and over. You want something. You can't get it. And so you begin to quarrel and fight all over again. So let's pause for application here just for a moment, and then we'll get back to the passage. If in the middle of conflict, can you just imagine if before we go into that conflict, you and I could pause and recognize part of the problem right now is I'm not getting what I want. That could be a game changer in your relationships in your home. I'm not getting what I want. Imagine if everybody in your family would stop and think for a second, you know what part of the problem is right now? I'm not getting what I want. Oh yeah? You know what part of the problem is right now? I'm not getting what I want either. If we could all recognize that, it could make a big difference in our life. So we're going to go old school church here. We're going to have a responsive reading. All right. Now, I want to welcome you because it's going to be a different take on a responsive reading. You can do hand motions, you can do the head bob, whatever you want. Just if you're doing hand motions, please don't point with any wrong fingers, all right? Let's keep it clean. But James tells us that we are part of the problem, even if things do need to be addressed and talked to. So uh, if we could go ahead and put the next slide up there. I'm going to read my line, and then I'm going to ask you guys to read the next line for us. So here we go. You know what part of the problem is? You guys have done this before. You grew up in that church, didn't you, with responsibility? Let's try it one more time. You know what part of the problem is? All right, very good. Now we're going to take you to the next level. Men, you take my line. Ladies, you get the congregation line. Here we go, men. You know what part of the problem is? All right, now you feel free. Don't say this to me unless you got a problem with me. You say it to the person you came with. Let's switch. So, ladies, you get the first line. Here we go, ladies. You know what part of the problem is. And men, I'm not getting what I want. All right, parents, first line. Here we go. You know what part of the problem is. Now, students, say it with attitude. I'm not getting what I want. All right, very good. Thank you. Now, some of you may be thinking... You better be listening to this message right now. Or you may be thinking, I wish my son had come to church today. Or when I get home, I'm going to tell my spouse, you sit down and listen to this message right now. There you go again. Right? It's them. They're the one with the problem that causes all the conflict in our house. It's them. There's a reason why we don't want to own part of the problem. Because when we own part of the problem, we lose some leverage. It's easy to think the issue is entirely theirs, but when we begin to own it, it begins to get a little bit hard. People, we don't, we don't naturally want to take responsibility. Even if it's just a small piece of the pie, we don't want to say part of the issue is me. Part of the issue is I'm not getting one, what I want. Because once we take responsibility, we can begin to own our part of the conflict and we can begin to move forward. But I feel empowered when the problem is you. But when I take responsibility, I have to own part of the problem. So part of the problem here is I am not getting what I want. And you could easily and justifiably say, but Pastor Adam, it is much bigger than that. He promised till death do us part, right? I mean, that is justifiable And, and... we, we had this agreement with our child that if we bought them this, they were going to do this. We have an agreement. We signed a paper for it. It's justified. And you could say, I want you to keep your promise, and I'm not getting what I want. I want you to fulfill your marriage vows, but I'm not getting what I want. You said you would do this, and I'm not getting what I want. And we could all look at that and say, it's not fair. It's just not fair. And I want to urge you to be careful there because you only play the fair card when it benefits you, right? I mean, you, you never got a raise at work and went back to your office and sulked because somebody else didn't get a raise. But man, you got this great raise. No, you went down the hall and praise God, man. Look what God did in my life. You were happy, even though it wasn't Fair. So be very careful with the fair card, because even in extreme and un, uh, unfair circumstances, we need to begin to admit, I am part of the problem. I own a slice of this pie, and even though I'm justified, even though they promised and they've broken their promise, no matter how many times he's promised he would quit drinking, no matter how many times she promised she would be home on time, still part of the issue here is I'm not getting what I want from them. And if we can see through that lens, we can begin to see through a new perspective that James is asking us to look at the situation through. Because when we look through that perspective, we also see in the mirror and we see what part of our problem is. But James doesn't end there. He says this, You do not have... Because you do not ask God. Now, everything up to this point, even if you're not a Christian, you could put this to work in your home. You can just go home and say, okay, I'm going to own my part. I was just thinking, honey, you don't have to tell them you went to church. You can just put this into action and it will make a difference in your home. But beyond that, James takes it up a level and he says, as a Christian, here's what we need to do. If we are a follower of Christ, we need to ask God. Did it ever occur to you before you lay into them, before you storm off down the hall, before you write that note or send them that text with all the angry face emojis in it, before we do that, before we, we we're going to go sulking and make them ask 20 times what's wrong, before we try to come up with a way to make them feel as bad as we feel, James says, has it occurred to you that you need to get on your knees and ask God. Ask Him to be in control of this situation. God, I want my husband to make more money. God, I want the atmosphere in our home to be different. God, I want my son to choose better friends. God, I want my daughter to break up with that idiot. Sorry, I know you made him God, but you something went wrong. He's an idiot, right? Has it occurred to you that those things that just causes us to want to blow our top. Before we blow our top, we need to say, God, I want you to deal with this situation before I deal with it. And I want you to deal with me. If you need to change my perspective, if you need me to control my tongue, God, deal with me first before I go into that situation. Has it occurred to you before we try to extract something from them that sometimes they will never be able to give to us anyway? That we need to stop and pray. God, there's something I want from my husband, from my wife, from my parents, from my kids. And I'm not getting it. Now, our tendency can be to pray at them. God, make them do this. Make them do that. But we need to go to God and bring these things to God. And ask him to adjust our perspective. Let him know we're not getting something that we want. It tends to take the focus off of them and allow God to put the focus on us. We might begin to realize they're not capable of doing what I'm wanting them to do. We might begin to see that part of the issue is me here. You might begin to let God do what only He can do that your nagging will never be able to do in your relationship. Then he goes on, and this is hard. Verse 3, "...when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives." That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. He's saying, Christ followers, if you will allow God to wrestle with you at this level, at what you are wanting from them, and what you are trying to get from them, then you can allow God to come in and bring true contentment to your life. James says, we often ask for the wrong reasons. Maybe what we're wanting from them is ultimately about us. Like I said, maybe it's something they're not even capable of giving us. Maybe they are, they're never going to turn out our kids like the way we want them to turn out. Maybe God has a bigger and a better plan than we could ever come up with on our own. So have you taken it to God? And can you take no for an answer? Can you own your part of it? James says, we do not have, we do not receive because we ask with the wrong motive. Sometimes I'm saying, I want this from you and I'm not getting it. And God is saying, I've got so much of a bigger and a better plan than you getting what you think you want from them. Can you turn that over to me and let me be in control of this situation? So let me finish up with this question right here. Who is it in your family that is suffering because you're not getting your way? Who is it in your family that is suffering because there's something you want from them, but you're not getting it? Who feels the pressure in your family to change? Who feels the pressure that they have to be more, they have to be skinnier, they have to be smarter, they have to make more money, whatever it may be? Who feels that pressure from you Because you want something from them and you're not getting it. Who have we communicated to in our family that I would be happier if you would start this, would stop this? What would happen with our kids if we took the pressure off of them and said, God, I want to give it to you? It's not that I don't want them to be everything that you created them to be. But I'm going to let go of my expectations of what I want from them. And I'm going to say, God, what you want for them and from them. That's what I want to be in line with. It's not that there are no expectations or boundaries. But when we give it to God, we reduce the conflict. Who is suffering because we don't recognize what James shows us? That it has more to do with me than it does with you. What could we do today? What could we do this week? through a letter, through an email, through a phone call, through a lunch, through a conversation that would begin to set some of the people we love the most free when we realize that it's about us. Do you know where fights and quarrels among you come from? They come because you're not getting something that you want. And do you know why you fight and quarrel back? It's because you're not getting something that you want. In an ideal world, in an ideal family, we would all pause before the storm and have a conversation with God and have a legitimate conversation with each other. God, before we talk about this, because there are things that need to be confronted and addressed, help me to recognize my part, God. Help me to recognize that there's something I want, that I need to deal with in your presence here before I take it there. God, do in me, what only you can do in me before I try to get something out of them that only you can bring forth out of their lives. Let's take it to God. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray over families right now. Lord, I pray for the families in this room that need your help. Because, Father, conflict can be so devastating that it can kill. And so, Father, I pray for those here today that may be hurting I pray for those that are grieving lost relationships that have been killed. And Father, I pray that you would begin to bring healing where there needs to bring healing. And Father, I pray that you would let it begin with each one of us individually. As it says in Psalms, Father, search our hearts and know me. Know the innermost parts of my being. Father, would you come and search me that I may be in line with your will. Show me how to love and serve my family the very best of my ability. And for those of you here today that you just need to start by surrendering your your life to Christ or giving your life back to Christ, I want you to take just a moment in your heart and in your words and just say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. I give you all that I am. I give you my life. I commit my marriage and my family and my kids to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Father, we need you today In Jesus' name.